This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Welcome to episode 11 of the Clip City Podcast. I am your host, Jovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. I'm coming to you live, well, not really live, but live right now uh, at Staples Center. It is post-game four. The Clippers lost to the Warriors, 113-105. This was a tough one. This was the one that probably got away. The Clippers really didn't have a, a shot in game one or game three. Game two obviously looked like they didn't have a shot, and then they had the greatest comeback of all time. Uh, I, I like to like to say that because I was at that game and it was pretty cool. Tonight, what was or today, Easter Sunday, was the most competitive of the four games. Uh, you know, from from start to finish, the Clippers were down eight at halftime. It was the first time they were trailing by single digits at the half. Uh, they were down by three heading into the fourth, which was the closest they had had the game or a game in the series uh, heading into the fourth, even closer than game two. And it just felt like there were a lot of chances for them to capitalize. But at the same time, it also felt like, you know, there were those moments where it did seem like they were kind of they had to play above their head just to compete with the Warriors. And, and that's, that's, I think, what, you know, what, when we talk, and, and I, know, I know some Clipper fans don't like when I talk about the Warriors or kind of give them credit or praise or whatever, but, like, I mean, that, that is just an incredible team. And I think the fact that the Clippers have, you know, won a game and were even able to you know, almost win this game like that, you know, I, I don't want to just chalk it up as a moral victory. But when you look at the caliber of teams the Warriors have beat, you know, through this playoff run over the last, you know, now going on five years, but but, you know, three years with, with the, the KD era Warriors, like they have just smoked some really, really good teams, teams better than the Clippers. And, and the fact that the Clippers, again, won a game. We're in this game till the end, really till the last, I guess, minute 53 when uh, KD hit that dagger three-pointer to, to stretch the game to 11 and, and kind of put it in the coffin. The, the, the fact, you know, and, and we, look, the series isn't over yet. Clippers are going back to Oracle for, for game five on Wednesday. 
knowing the Clippers and the way they've played all season, it would be very Clipper-ish to, to win game five and extend this series back to game six. But even if the series ends, you know, on, on Wednesday in game five, which it's looking more and more likely like that's going to happen, especially after tonight's loss, it, you know, just how deflating it was and, and how well they played and, and still lost. Like, the, the Warriors make you play your best version of yourself. You know, like, they, they require that if you want to beat them. And you saw that with the Clippers in that stretching game, too. Like, that was the absolute... You know, I asked Doc Rivers if that was the best stretch of offense they'd had all season. He was like, that might have been the best stretch of offense we've had in our lives, you know, each of us collectively. Like, and, and that was probably, you know, a, a bit of an exaggeration, but it, it really rings true. Like, the, you know, that, that stretching game, too, was, was just historically, I mean, they, they whooped the Warriors for, for 20 minutes, which, you know, is, is very hard to do. So uh, I thought tonight, you know, they were more competitive from the jump. Uh, the, you know, Doc inserted Jermichael Green. Uh, in for Ivica Zubat, something I talked about before, something I, I thought was going to happen, and, and it worked. You know, I, I thought that the Clippers' spacing and, and flow offensively, you know, for, for, from uh, the onset was much better. Uh, defensively, Jamichael defended KD, I, I thought, as well as anyone has um, throughout this series. Like, that, that might have been the best stretch of defense on KD. And uh, it, it kind of worked. Like, you know, Gallo, Gallo had to battle with Bogut, but Pat was, was, was battling Draymond. They, they kept Shea on, on Clay and Landry on, on Steph and look Landry on Steph that that might have been the adjustment of the series like Steph has not been Steph since Landry's defended him and that, part of that's been foul trouble uh, so it's not all on Landry but Landry has defended him really really well as well as you could reasonably expect to defend Steph and and you know considering he's a rookie and, and not known for his defense like it's just been a incredibly impressive job by Landry uh, and he deserves credit for that but tonight's you know the story from the Clippers side was Shea Shea, to me, had his, you know, national coming out party, his national arrival. Uh, you know, the Clippers were only on national TV a few times this season. Even during their, their stretch of, of national relevance, when they had that 16-7 and seven start, and later in the season, you know, when they came back against Boston and uh, when they clinched a playoff spot. And, like, they, they had a few pockets of, of national relevance. But that always focused on, you know, like, Toby and Bobby or... Lou or Pat or Gallo or Trez like Shea was kind of you know sixth or seventh in that pecking order and didn't really get the the credit or recognition I think he's gotten it a little more recently when people have talked about the all-rookie teams and uh, it seems like he's gonna probably make the all-rookie first team if not for sure he's a lock for the all-rookie second team uh, I think Landry is too uh, but but Shea you know, he, he really is the future of this franchise. And, uh, you know, it's something that we, you know, it's it's kind of, it, it's staring everyone right in the face. Like this, this guy, despite being the number 11th pick, which tends to not even produce all-stars necessarily, it's kind of hit or miss. Uh, you know, he, th- this guy is, you know, has started since the 10th game of the season. You know, his statistics, while not on par with guys like Trey Young or Luka Doncic, you know, I think just his two-way ability, his court vision, his size, you know, his pace, his feel for the game, his basketball IQ, like, he just has so many, you know, positive attributes and, and you know, just, it's, it's, it's really, it's been something to watch him grow into himself. And I thought today's game was really the encapsulation of everything Shea can be and everything he's going to be, uh, you know, like his ability to, 
really for the first time in the series, be ag- aggressive and assertive. Like the Warriors have completely ignored Shea. And, and I said that in my preview, I thought they, you know, whether it was Draymond or, or whoever they put on him was just going to completely ignore him. Hey, Shea, like, you know, we're going to believe you were the shooter you were in January and February when you shot under 20% for, for two straight months on, on threes. And we're going to let you take those shots. So the, the Warriors have treated him like that. They've treated him like a 20% shooter. Draymond has been camped in the paint. He's been the help, you know, the primary help defender on pick and rolls and, and dribble drives and, you know, just kind of mucking things up inside, uh, you know, an extra rebounder. And he, he's completely left Shea. And I think it, it, it actually kind of messed with Shea. Like it was, you know, it's not like he's had the most gravity all season and where, where guys have just been, all, you know, stuck on his jersey on the weak side and stuff. But you know, the, the Warriors have been disrespecting him and, and they've been, you know, just completely ignoring him. And I think you, you saw he started to second guess shots. He, he would hesitate shooting or he would rush from shots or he would, you know, pass up shots when he was wide open um, or, you know, look to pass and then try to shoot. And it, it was just a lot of, you know, just second guessing, not playing natural basketball for him. And, and Doc, you know, mentioned uh, a practice on Friday. He was like, you know, we got to get Gallo going, which is its own story. But number two, it's got to be Shea. And, you know, the, the Warriors game plan has really been to lock into Landry and Gallo, take those two out, take them off of screens, take them off of spot ups, just, you know, live in their jerseys, not give them any breathing room, not let them go off. And you've seen as they've taken those two out, it really put a lot of pressure on the, the rest of the Clipper starters, which, you know, Vita Zubats was not playing well. He got benched tonight. He didn't even play. Pat Beverly, you know, he had a decent shooting night tonight, 4-9, 12 points, but he, uh, you know, he's kind of been hit. He's been very inconsistent throughout this series, and, you know, just in general is not really much of an offensive factor besides his, his penetration and playmaking. Um, and, and then Shea, you know, Shea was really the guy who, if Landry and Gallo don't have it going, it, it's got to be on Shea to step up. But he hadn't you know game one he, he was 6 of 16 shooting for 18 points but it was pretty inefficient then game two and game three was pretty quiet and you know game game two he did have that one you know he had the the game winning assist to landry for three but and you know again that that speaks to doc's confidence in him that he was out there and his basketball iq that he didn't shoot that shot or didn't try to drive and then kick it like he just made the quick play uh, and found landry and, and landry knocked it down but Shea had not really played that well offensively up until this point in the series. But tonight he had, he had 25 points on 9 of 15 shooting that matched his best shooting per, uh, performance on 13 or more shots this season. Really overall was his best offensive performance um, of the year. And the fact that it came on, on this stage with, the, with these stakes against this opponent, uh, I just thought it, it really, you know, it was a flash of, of Shea's potential. I think he has all-star potential. You know, I, I think, all, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say all NBA because it's just such a, you know, it's, that's a top six guard in the league, which I think he could probably get there. But, you know, the, the, realistically, it is hard to reach that level. And if you look at all NBA year to year, there's kind of a range of like, it's usually the same six guys or, you know, the same eight guys for six spots. Like, so it is hard to get to that point. And it is, you know, it's not just point guards. It is point guards and shooting guards. So you really almost have to be top four at your position. Or if you're top four at your position, you're probably a top, you know, especially as a guard, like you're probably a top 15 player. So I think Shea has that level of potential. You know, if you're running 100 simulations of of his career, he probably gets there 10 to 15 times. 
I don't know which simulation this is, but I do think he definitely has all-star potential. He, he has, you know, he looks like a, a franchise cornerstone, a building block. Uh, I do think that the Clippers would have to think long and hard if, uh, you know, if, if New Orleans is interested in trading for Anthony Davis or, you know, Portland is, is open to moving, you know, Portland somehow loses this series to OKC or gets waxed next round uh, to, to Denver or San Antonio and then Dame wants out. You know, you got to think long and hard about trading Shea if you're the Clippers. Because, you know, I think if I'm any other team, I demand Shea. Like, Shea, Shea is the thing. Shea is the Clippers' most attractive asset. He is, you know, like the, the Miami pick's nice. The Philly pick's okay. Landry, you know, I think is going to be a really, really special shooter in this league. Jerome, the, the jury's still out on him, but he had some nice flashes today. Like, the, the Clippers have some some assets that would be attractive. You know, Trez is still young. Uh, Lou is on a very team-friendly deal for, for two more years. Gallo's on a $22 million expiring. Like, they have some pretty good assets, but Shea, I think, to me, far and away is, is the number one asset. And if I'm trading a star to the Clippers, I demand Shea. And then that negotiations don't start unless Shea is in it. So I think depending on how the offseason plays out and whether the Clippers get Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving or whoever – um, if they get one star and they start to look to potentially acquire a second star through trades, I do think it's going to be very interesting how much they value Shea, uh, where he kind of fits in in their long-term plans. Because I think you saw with the Lakers this year, uh, you know, when, when you get a st- – and now KD and Kawhi and Kyrie aren't as old as LeBron, but when you do get a star with a, a young team, it does change the – the sort of the timeline, you know, the, the track to success gets sped up a bit. So you don't have the same window with, with the younger players. And I, I think that really negatively affected the Lakers this season. It negatively affected their young guys. And you could potentially see a similar effect with the Clippers next season uh, if they brought in, you know, a Kawhi or a KD. And you might see a scenario in which they have to tr- move some of those young guys to bring in veteran guys who are, are ready to win now. Uh, with that said, I, I think these young guys are now getting valuable experience. Like Shea and Landry have, have been defending uh, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Kevin Durant, Andre Godala, and, and they've been defended by those guys. And, and that's that's valuable reps and experience that you know Luka Doncic isn't getting, Trey Young isn't getting, um, you know Colin Sexton isn't getting, Marvin Bagley isn't getting, DeAndre Ayton isn't getting, and the Clippers' young guys are getting it. Jerome got some playing time tonight and, and played well. Uh, Zubots, you know, got benched, but I think it's also about va- there's there's value in that, you know, kind of it's it's almost a blueprint of, of what he has to do to survive in the modern NBA because for as good as Zubots has been and you know his big body, he he's been a, a nice roller for the team, even though his hand injuries have kind of affected his catching and finishing ability. Uh, he's been a you know solid rim protector, rebounder, like he does have some weaknesses, and I, I think that th- this this series is going to be the blueprint for him to improve and, and really kind of shore those up. Uh, this summer and moving forward for him uh, if he wants to have a long NBA career because you know, the Warriors are an anomaly and they have a level of shooting and, and playmaking and passing and just talent that no one else in the league has but at, at the same time like a lot of teams have adopted those principles and you know you might have seen Zubats played off the court if, if the Clippers were playing the Rockets or, or maybe even the Blazers uh, so I, I do think that for his sake you know th- this has been a nice learning experience but look, like Landry's gotten reps on, on Steph and Clay. 
Uh, he's also hit some, I mean, he, <laughs> he hit what could end up, you know, it's probably won't be the biggest shot of his career, but it's, it's going to be the biggest shot of his career for a bit, you know, until the Clippers are in the playoffs next year or, or whatever. Like, that, that's going to be one of the biggest shots of his career, most likely. Like, a game-winning three against the Warriors in the playoffs. That's huge. Shea had, had his breakout performance tonight, and, and Jerome, you know, hasn't played much, but Doc has used him as sort of the, the 11th guy uh, and sometimes 10th guy, at, you know, at times tonight. So... I think overall, you know, while the Clippers are likely to lose on Wednesday and the series is probably over, um, I think that the most positive takeaway, if you're a Clippers fan, if you are listening to this podcast, is just the experience for the young guys. Like, I, I think I always thought that was a little bit overblown because it, it's hard to even, you know, prove what a a you know, I, I think it's it, it's just kind of hard to prove like what playoff experience does and, and what, you know, one one series, you know, what what is a four or five game playoff series do for a young player? Like, the, does that really teach them a lot? But I actually think in this case it does, especially, you know, it's almost a blessing in the skies they got the Warriors. Like, yes, you know, had they gotten Denver or, or Portland, maybe they move on to round two and, you know, maybe they end up playing you know, 10 games, 12 games in the playoffs. But I just, and maybe they make the conference finals, but I do think there's something to the attention to detail, the level of their opponent where playing the Warriors for five games might be even more beneficial than like a conference finals run against weaker opponents. I, I you know, I know that sounds a little crazy, but I think that might be true. Um, you know, the, the Warriors force you to be locked in and engaged on every single possession. And any mistake you make, they make you pay. So I, I do think that, you know, that wouldn't there wouldn't have been the same level of attention to detail against the Nuggets, against the Blazers. Uh, the, the Clippers could have gotten by with a lot less. Now I wouldn't say effort, but a lot less execution and a lot just less attention to detail. So I, I do think there is something to them playing the Warriors and the young guys getting these reps. Quickly, I thought the two things that lost the, well, there's three things that lost the Clippers this game. Oh, four. <laughs> the, the stretch to end the third into the fourth where the, the Clippers, I believe, had an 82-77 lead with like two or three minutes left in, in the, the third. They only scored two points over that final two or three minutes. And the Warriors flipped that from a five-point deficit to a three-point lead. I think they led 87-84 heading into the fourth. Uh, and then that, you know, the beginning of the fourth, Doc went with the bench. And they were going up against the Warriors bench. With it was it was Clay plus the Warriors bench, and the Warriors actually extended the lead. I think to about six in the first three minutes of that fourth, and that was really costly for the Clippers because here is Luentrez, the one weapon that's that's excelled against the Warriors all series, and you know the bench lineup has been good for the most part all season, and they got outplayed by the Warriors bench and, and by Clay, and you know there. I guess Bogut was out there too, so it wasn't full Warriors bench, but for all intents and purposes, he's, he's a bench-level player despite how, how good he's been this series. So that stretch was re really critical, and it really, you know, the Clippers losing that stretch just put them so... I just felt like it, it, put, it put up a wall where, you know, once the Warriors starters came in, once Steph came in, once KD came in, like, it, it was, it, you know, you had to over... Just playing them, you, you know, you, you have to somehow outscore them, but... Not only did they have to outscore them, they had to make up that like six-point deficit, and that was difficult. 
free throws. Free throws t- tonight, the, the Clippers were 24 of 32, 75%. That's lower than their season average. I believe it's around 79, 80%. Um, that was really costly because the, the Warriors went 17 and 19. They only missed two, shot 90%. Uh, the Clippers, you had Lou with a very uncharacteristic 7 of 10 from the free throw line. Uh, Garrett Temple, 0 of 2. Uh, Pat, 1 of 2. Gallo, 5 of 6. Like, those add up, you know, the, the, those eight free throws, if, if you just make four, of, four or five of them, uh, it's potentially a much different game to, to close this game. And it doesn't mean they win, but it might have gone out to the final possession or two. Uh, rebounding, the Clippers were out-rebounded 49 to 33, but so by 16. And part of that, it was just, you know, they, they were missing shots. Uh, you know, they only shot 42.5%. So, and Warriors shot 47%. So inherently, if you're shooting 5% worse, there's going to be more rebounds for your opponent, but I thought it was the offensive glass where the, the you know the Warriors all all series have really killed the Clippers on the offensive glass, and they had 11 offensive rebounds uh, to the Clippers four offensive rebounds. So the, that seven point swing, uh, and let's see, the the Warriors had 19 second chance points to the Clippers eight. Warriors had 42 points in the paint to the Clippers 36. Uh, Clippers actually outscored them on fast break points though 21 13. So. Uh, I, I thought, and then I thought that the the performances of, of Lou and Gallo, uh, Gallo, 5 of 20. I thought he was like 5 of 16, 17. Wow, 5 of 20. Uh, that is just, Gallo's had a rough series. Um, he, he's had, you know, the, the Warriors have taken him out with their perimeter size and length. KD, I think, has not gotten enough credit for the job he's done on Gallo, but Draymond's defended him and Iguodala and Clay, and they've all just done a really nice job on Gallo. And, and Lou was 2 of 10. So between those two, they were 7 of 30, which is just... You, the Clippers cannot win when their two best offensive players go 7 to 30. Just, you know, it's... For as good of a performance as Shea had, Gallo still finished with 16, Lou finished with 12. They both got to the free throw line a bit. But that, that's just not going to get it done. And, you know, that, that's the Warriors' defense. And, and Doc talked about it post game. Like, you know, everyone always focuses on the Warriors' offense and their shooting and, and the passing and the flashy stuff. But defensively they're so long they're so big uh you know especially when even when they go to these small lineups they, they just got a bunch of dudes like six seven to six ten uh six eleven in, in katie's case that can just switch and, and guard multiple positions like katie was, has been defending landry in this series a bit as he did in the regular season like the warriors are just so tough and you know i think it's it, it's tough to lose a game like this that you the clippers really had a chance to to, to steal uh, and they were really in it again till to the last couple minutes. But at the same time, like, you know, the Warriors are the Warriors. And uh, there's a reason why most people predicted this to be a sweep or, or five games at the most. Like, it's because the the playoff Warriors are a different animal. Uh, they, they might be the best team of all time. So uh, I think there's no shame in, in losing to them. Uh, it, it is frustrating, uh, especially when, when Gallo, you know, you, you probably feel like if Gallo and Lou have better games, maybe the Clippers win this one or again it comes down to the final possession or two maybe because overtime whatever but that's just the, the reality of the situation like Iguodala has defended Lou really well disrupted him the last couple games uh and Gallo's been pretty bad all series so like that that's just the reality of the situation the Warriors defense has really bothered those two guys the last you know the last couple games especially but really all not at Lou not as much all series especially in, in game two but um, Gallo, you know, has really been bothered. So those were the four things that I thought really decided this game and really flipped it in the Warriors' favor. Uh, you know, Clay had 32 points on 12 of 20 shooting, six threes. That was huge. 
KD, 33 points, 12 of 21 shooting. Like, he's just a machine. Uh, Steph only had 12 points, 3 of 14 shooting, but uh, 10 rebounds, 7 assists. Like, the, the Warriors are just so freaking good. I don't want to keep belaboring that, but I think in, in doing that too, it's, it's giving the Clippers credit because they fought with them to the end. And uh, I do think we're at the end. I think game five will be it, but we shall see. I will be back post game five, either with uh, another great comeback story and a, another great rally from the Clippers or a, a eulogy. We shall see. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork, or meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you could rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. In most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Having life insurance can free you from stress Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance could be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. Getethos.com. Thank you for listening to episode 11 of the Clip City Podcast. Uh, If you'd like to ask me a question, follow me on Twitter, read my stuff, follow me at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. That's at Jovan Buha on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, If you'd like to read my work, please subscribe to The Athletic. Uh, You could do so for the price of half a meal at Staples Center, maybe even less. But do that at theathletic.com. You can download the app, sign up for a one-week free trial, test it out, see if you like it, uh, at least read my stuff, give me some, uh, give me some positive feedback uh, on those. Um, you know, Join the comment Clippers community. Uh, we got a nice thing going there with, with uh, you know, readers commenting and engaging with one another. And most importantly, of course... You can subscribe to the Clip City Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, You can type in Clip City or you can type in Blue Wire. Uh, Also check out other Blue Wire podcasts. And that is about it. Again, I will talk to you after game five, one way or the other. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.